Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor. And each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around. If you are curious about learning more about Peace United Methodist Community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Once again, that's peacethepodcast.podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe. And now, on to the Sacred Story Reading. A couple things before we dive in. I wanted to highlight a couple books that I've been utilizing for this series. Uh, for those of you that are kind of catching up, we're in the middle of a series called Retrace, where we're examining the passages that have often been used to harm and exclude the LGBTQ plus community. And so we're concluding that series today uh, with this final sermon where we're tackling two different passages that Paul wrote, one in the letter to Timothy and one in the first letter to the Corinthians. They're very similar passages, as you will see, which is why we're tackling them together. But a couple of resources in case you're interested. Matthew Vines, Pastor Matthew Vines wrote a book called God and the Gay Christian. Um, Highly recommend this book. Um, It's a great book. It's personal narrative along with some good deep dives into the hermeneutics and the theology of scripture. Another book that I read recently is Unclobber, Rethinking Our Misuse of the Bible and Homosexuality by Pastor Kobe Martin. Kobe Martin, unlike Matthew Vines, Matthew Vines identifies as a a gay Christian. Um, Kobe Martin uh, identifies as straight. Um, So two different uh, people coming at it from different uh, perspectives in life history, uh, but also doing some really great theological work. And then finally, an author named David Gushy. Uh, David Gushy wrote a book called Changing Our Mind. I, I highly recommend this one as well. He does a really deep dive into the hermeneutics and the kind of in Bible interpretation theology of the text to understand what's going on in these challenging passages. David Gushy wrote kind of the definitive work on uh, Christian ethics. And when he wrote that book on Christian ethics, he was not someone who was coming from an inclusive standpoint, an affirming standpoint. And he talks about his journey in this book and why his mind was changed and why he believes that Christianity needs to change its collective mind. Um, so he he was very intentional in his title. He doesn't say changing our minds as if each of us individually, but he's calling on the church to change its mind. Um, and so I, I really appreciated uh, his work in that book as well. If you're curious after the service, come on down and I'll, uh, I'll make sure you get a picture of it or something, or you can just borrow one. Okay, here's a quote that I read a few weeks ago. I shared it with a couple people. Um, Forgive me if you find this to be offensive and it's Sunday morning. I apologize, but I think you'll get why I'm using it. 2,000 years from now, people will not understand the difference between butt dial and booty call. And that is exactly why the Bible is hard to understand. So I get the offensiveness of this on a Sunday morning, but I think you see my point. 
butt dial and booty call 2,000 years from now, people will not understand the difference and why we're singing about one, one of them and why we're doing the other and all of the things. Here's the complexity of this taken even further, okay? Because as, as accurate as this quote may be, it's not exactly perfect. Because here's the, here's the difference. Now imagine we're trying to do that in a language that has been no longer spoken for hundreds of years. Because the Greek language is not something that is spoken anymore, even in Greece. Koine Greek is not the spoken language. It's a different language. And then, if you're in a new time, imagine 2,000 years from now, and human bodies have a way of detecting illnesses. And so there's a product, or there's a something within your body, and it's called a gluteus maximus alert system. And it alerts when you have something wrong with your colon. And so 2,000 years from now, we have a term that alerts us to an illness in our body called gluteus maximus alert, but we read an ancient dead language text from 2,000 years ago where they are talking about booty calls and butt dials. And we imagine they were on to this 2,000 years ago. Okay, do you see what I'm doing here? 2,000 years from now, we have an alert system that tells us when our colon is wrong, and it's a similar language to what is happening right now where we use butt dial and booty call. We have, we're not talking about something happening 2,000 years in the future. We're talking about accidentally calling people or calling people for a reason that I am not going to say anything further on because there's a middle schooler in the room. So I think it's an interesting way of navigating the complexity of what we're going to read today and what we've been exploring this entire series. Because as I've said every single week, the nature of same-sex relationships that we have in our culture today, where people can commit to a life of love, a life of commitment, of fidelity to one another that happen to be of the same gender, is not what was going on in the first century when the New Testament was written, and it was definitely not happening when they were writing the book of Leviticus or when they were telling the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was not happening in ancient Near East. It was not happening in the first century Judaism or Rome, and it, was, and it is happening now. So we have a different thing going on within human culture, and it's same-sex relationships. It's the LGBTQIA plus community, and it is not something that is reflected in these ancient writings. And yet, and yet, we are being asked to interpret and understand a 2,000-year-old document that maybe speaks to our life now 2,000 years later. So with all of the complexity that I just laid out, here are the two passages that we are referencing today. This is 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11. Now we know that the law is good. This is Paul writing to his disciple Timothy, kind of teaching him how to go about doing the work that he needs him to do. We know that the law is good if it uses, if one uses it legitimately. This means, understand, the law is laid down for the, not for the righteous, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the godless and sinful, for the unholy and the profane, for those who kill their father or mother, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who engage in illicit sex, slave traders, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I was entrusted. Now, 
you notice the little letter C there. I left that in because that's a notation by the people translating to look at the footnote. We're going to get to the footnote in a minute, but I wanted you to know it's there. Here's the second passage for today. 1 Corinthians 6, 7 through 10. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. And you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And notice the notation next to that passage as well, the little letter A. The interpreters of this passage are trying to point us to a footnote to say what's going on here. And here's the interesting thing about the footnote in 1 Timothy and the footnote in 1 Corinthians. The footnote is, these are complex words that we don't really understand how to translate. It's literally what's in, the, it's what's in there. It's like, these are complicated, we don't quite get them. So the question then becomes, well, what are those words, and why have those words been used to exclude or to harm the LGBTQ plus community? So let's dive into those words, because the pattern for today is, why are those words used to exclude people? Let's understand what's going on. Then we're going to ask the question, well, what could those words be pointing to that isn't exclusionary of how people are doing relationship today? And then if it's not that, then what's Paul actually doing in these passages? Okay, what good are these passages? If they're not meant to be exclusionary, if something else is going on, then what's the good? What's the lesson? What are we going to learn from these passages? So that's, that's the three part. What's going on in these words and why people interpreted them, this, interpreted them this way? What could they mean and how could that make us learn something new? The first word, malakoi. Everyone say malakoi. Malakoi. It means soft. Sometimes it's translated as effeminate. Sometimes it's translated as lazy. The idea here is that in the first century, as Paul's writing, there's a sense that certain people in the community are not holding up their end of the bargain. They're not living into who they're supposed to be. Now, some have translated this as a sense of a person who's taking on an effeminate personality and is subjecting themselves to dominance by someone else. And so it was seen as the, the receptive partner in the relationship. And so it was not looked highly upon. And that's why some have translated this word or used this word to say, see, this is where same-sex relationships is seen in the Bible as not okay, because if you're seen as soft, effeminate, then you are wrong. You are not doing what God wants you to do. When in fact, the word just means Someone who is not maybe living into the cultural expression of what a man was supposed to look like in the first century. It means someone who is maybe not holding up their end of the bargain when it comes to how they're entering into community. They're being a little lazy. They're, they're not championing people. They're not putting in the hard work. And so how we translate this and how we understand what's going on in the first century matters. So the second word for us today, this one's a fun one, everybody. You ready? Arsenokoitai. Everyone say arsenokoitai. Arsenokoitai. Good job. You guys did great. That was wonderful. Okay, so in 1 Timothy, we only had the word 
malakoi, that was the word being used in that passage. In the first Corinthians passage, we have both malakoi and arsenokoitai. We have both words. And so some people, some translators, some people understand that maybe what Paul was doing is he was talking about effeminate people or soft people or people that were the receptive partner and that Paul was kind of shooting down that being a sexual expression. That's what's going on in 1 Timothy. And then here in 1 Corinthians, Paul's saying not only is the more effeminate one the one, the receptive partner, but also he uses this word, arsenokoitai. And it literally translates to arsen. Arsen means male, and koitai means bed, so a male bed. And so that's where the translators have used this term to say homosexuality. So if you were to read the NIV, the New International Version of the Bible, it doesn't, it doesn't say men lie with men. It just says homosexuality. Um, and so that's a very literal translation of the term. And the question is, well, is that the best way to translate this term? Because this term is actually very rarely used, not only in the Bible, I think this is the only instance where it's used, but it's also very infrequently used in first century writings or, or even in the centuries surrounding the first century. We don't see a lot of people using this word very often. So what could this word mean? And one author suggests, well, if you want to find out what this word means, you probably should look at the way it was used in other contexts, in other ways. And in every instance that this word was used in other texts at the time, it did not mean men lying with men. It didn't mean homosexuality as it's expressed today. It, what, it, what it meant was economic exploitation, and sometimes economic exploitation with a sexual nature to it. It was somebody trying to have power over somebody else, and using their power in a sexual nature. It was expressing that or exploiting someone based on their power over them and using sex as a means to do that. Oftentimes, this word had nothing to do with sex. It was just if you were economically exploited by someone else, it was in a list of other ways that you would exploit someone or that you would try to gain power over them, and it had nothing to do with sexual expression. And so for our authors today to come along and use men lying with men or homosexuality as the translation, it's really not accurate, not only to how it should have been translated back then, but definitely not to how it should be translated now. And so the question then becomes, well, what's going on in these passages? How could we understand them differently. I think what Paul's trying to get at in both of these passages is that power over other people is a problem. Power over other people is a problem. And oftentimes the way that it was expressed in the first century and in the ancient Near East was by an asexual nature. You saw masters who were dominating and sleeping with their slaves. You saw teachers who were abusing their students. It was a common practice in the Jewish in the, the sorry the Greek academy to do that. And so you see these ways of exploiting people, of dominating people, of asserting your power over them. And Paul is putting this idea in a list of other ways that people gain power. If we were to go back and look at the verses that we read earlier, it's people who murder, people that are sexually immoral. We're talking about slave traders, liars, people that perjure themselves, people that do things that are against sound teaching. We're talking about people that are trying to gain power over their neighbor 
and are doing it by any means necessary. We're not just talking about people that, you know, don't like to be kind. We're, talking, we're not talking about people that just don't like to be gentle or don't have patience with one another. We're talking about people that want to have power over each other. And that is what Paul is getting at, is power over others. And here's the thing about power over others, is that when we have power over others, we want to keep that power. And keeping power oftentimes triggers fear. The other night, I was, uh, actually last night, I was at a friend's house. The kids were playing football outside. The adults are sitting around eating nacho bowls. And my friend says to me, Jason, tell us your three things. I'm like, what three things? I'm like, what, 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 what do I have a number on or something? What are the three things? They're like, no, what are the three things that are on your mind right now? And I was like, oh, three things are on my mind. Okay, in a couple of weeks, we're going to go to an Airbnb and do some mountain biking with the kids over MEA. Linda's going to be here to speak. It's going to be wonderful. I'm looking forward to having that time with the family. That's on my mind because the bikes have to go to the shop and get fixed. Number two. Um, number two was the twins are playing in the playoffs. Yay, twins. The Vikings are struggling, but they're playing the Chiefs today. So hopefully Taylor Swift's in Minnesota, which would be cool. Uh, and then basketball season's right around the corner, which is exciting. So it's kind of like a sports dream scenario. It's like the Trinity of sports coming up. So it's really fun. So that's on my mind. I love following sports this time of year. Number three was we're wrapping up this series on kind of retracing these passages that have often been used to harm the LGBTQ community. And my friend looked at me and she said, is, is there like a sense of righting a wrong happening with you? Is that like, do you feel like that sense? And my answer was, I feel it for me. And she's like, well, I wasn't talking about you. I was talking about like, do you feel like you're saying something for like kind of the host of us that got raised in a more conservative environment and now we're trying to figure out how can we engage God's word differently? And I was like, well, yeah but I want to go back to me for a minute. And she's like, okay, like weird. And I said, no, I've been on a journey. Um, and it's one that this slide really matters to me. When I was growing up, I grew up, you know, in a small town, Maple Plain, just west of here. We were kind of like the, the sister city of Orno where a lot of the wealthier people went and, and whatnot. And so we were kind of the, the, just over there on the side and and so it didn't have a lot growing up, but man, we had our faith, we had church. And, and the thing about faith and church is that we were right. Um, we were right and a lot of other people were wrong. And now that isn't something that was explicitly said to me. My parents, I don't think they ever said we're the only ones that are right, but that's the way I interpreted what was kind of being taught to me. And then when I was taught we're right, everyone else is wrong, or I internalized that idea and I started to live out that idea, well, being right and having someone else be wrong means, well, then, okay, what are they wrong about? What am I right about? And the thing that starts to happen is things that are different from you tend to be the things that you fear. Things that are different from you tend to be the things that you fear. And I was taught that people that were in same-sex relationships were going against what God expected, against what God wanted, and so that became the thing to fear, and then it became the thing to attack through language, through theology, through the way that I would talk, and the way that I would connect with people. It was using 
a group of people as a scapegoat for my own fear and insecurity. It was using a group of people to assert my own power. So I don't look at the passage that we read in 1 Timothy or 1 Corinthians and go, man, you're right, Paul, I'm a murderer. Like, you're right, Paul, I've had, I've had an affair. Like, I don't look at that and, and see myself. But what I do see in myself is someone who wanted power and didn't always feel like I had it, especially in the community that I was in, especially in the, the, the basketball team that I was on. And one way of asserting power or gaining power was being right about my faith. And the way to be right about my faith was to scapegoat somebody else to say, they're wrong, I'm right, let me show you how. I can turn to the passage of Scripture and show you. And so for me, keeping power triggered fear, and then that fear requires a face. And the face that, for me, I identified with as fearing or not understanding or attacking would have been the LGBTQ plus community. It's something that over the course of my time in studying scripture and theology, I've really wrestled with. I actually asked myself when I first started here, will I ever say this? Will I ever say this to this community, knowing how much I love you and how much we've gotten to know each other? Will I ever admit that I was a seemingly different person than I present myself to be today? Um, It's something that I've needed to apologize for. It's something that I've been deeply humbled by and something that I've deeply learned from. Because when I look back on who I was in the journey that I've been on, I am ashamed of some of the things I did or said and the way that I presented myself because it wasn't loving. It was out of fear and it was out of a desire to be right and to maintain power and control of the situation I was in. Um, I'd think for me, the table couldn't be big enough. It had to be a small table that I was in control of the invitations. And that's not how I see faith anymore. That's not how I see scripture anymore. It's not how I see the movement of love and reconciliation anymore. Um, And that's the journey that I've been on. And it's the journey that has led me to this moment. It's led me to this church. It's led me to the UMC. It's led me to, to leave behind a career path that had a future but I decided it wasn't the one for me. And now I find myself trying to, in a way that my friend put it, are you trying to right a wrong? And I'm not trying to right a wrong for the whole church. I mean, I do hope that there's something about the Christian conversation that we play a small part in, that we can do some trajectory shifting. But I think for me, this has been a really personal series um, in a lot of ways. And so, For those of you that need to hear an apology, I sincerely say I'm sorry for the person that I was. I also hope that you sincerely hear that that is not who stands before you today. I'm a much different person at this time. So this is personal to me in a lot of ways. And I think what Paul's doing in this passage actually moves us to say, okay, then what do we do with this? 
if it's not meant to be an attack, if it's not meant to be an exclusion, if we're talking about power and we're not just talking about loving relationship, then what is Paul trying to do here? And I think for me personally, what Paul's doing here is is really meaningful, and I hope that it's also likewise meaningful to all of you. Because what Paul does in 1 Timothy is that he goes from this list of ways that people have power over each other, and then Paul says something that you would not expect. He says, the saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So after this long list of people that are seeking power over one another, that are harming one another, that are excluding people, that are damaging people, that are dominating people. Paul says, you guys, I'm, I'm the worst of this. And I've, I, this is the saying that we're to identify with, that we all need to put ourselves at the bottom of the spiritual hierarchy ladder and say, I'm down here. I'm in need of forgiveness. I'm in need of grace just as much as anyone. And so for me today, this is, this is what I need to hear from this passage, is not how do I assert power? How do I keep power? Who should I fear? Who should I attack in order to protect my fear or to conquer my fear? But nope, I'm, 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 the, I'm the worst of this. I've done this, and this is where I need to recognize I am in order to stay humble in order to be the type of servant that I need to be to my family and to the community that I'm in. The second thing I think we can learn from this is actually coming from the 1 Corinthians passage, where Paul has this complicated list of power over each other. And it's interesting because it's coming in this this passage where Christians or the, the community is suing one another and they can't settle their disputes. And Paul's like, if you guys can't settle your disputes, you're just as bad as everybody else out there. Like, you need to figure this out. You need to learn how to be in community with each other. Because if you can't be in community with each other, if you can't learn to love each other, if you can't try to assert your power over each other, then you have no business associating with this kingdom of God thing. Because the kingdom of God is not one where we assert power over each other. It's one where we serve each other. It's one where we come alongside each other. It's one where we say there's always room at the table. I need to understand your voice. I need to extend grace and forgiveness and mercy. I need you in my life because you live and you breathe and you're human just like me. So let's, we got to move on from the power thing. We got to get into the love thing. And so Paul writes this, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Now, oftentimes this passage is misconstrued because people think that what it really means is like, don't get tattoos because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So like, don't, don't defile your body. That's not what's being talked about. Let's be honest. Not at all. What it means is Paul's actually calling us to a much deeper thing. What Paul is trying to do here is he's trying to say, you know, that thing that's a part of our community, that temple where we went to absolve our sins, where we went to offer sacrifice, where we went to praise and to pray, that place where in the Holy of Holies, we believed the manifestation of God was actually dwelling, that in this inner sanctum, we believed God's presence was real, that we believed that God was abiding in this place. You're that place. You're that place. You are the conduit for grace on earth. When people bump into you, they should feel a connection to love and grace and justice and forgiveness and mercy. 
You are a conduit of God's spirit. It's abiding in you. Stop with the power game. Stop scapegoating other people so you can maintain your position. Stop harming each other. Stop suing each other. Stop disagreeing all the time. Find a way to be a path towards love and reconciliation. Be a conduit of God's spirit on earth as it is in heaven. If the church understood this passage, it would radically change everything. If the church understood itself to be the conduit of God's presence on earth, this place where people can come and feel a sense of love and connection, a place where they can feel like they are welcomed and received, forgiven, accepted, the belong, where they can feel a sense of just grace upon grace. I mean, we wouldn't have the reputation that we do all over the globe. This is our challenge today. This is my challenge moving forward. How can I be a place? How can I be a person? How can I be a conduit of that love and that grace? Because throughout this entire series, we've not just been saying, okay, how do we disarm these passages? How do we maybe see them differently? But what are these passages teaching us? And over and over and over again, what we actually see as we retrace these passages is that Paul and other writers of the Bible, from the story of Sodom about hospitality to the story about being a unique group of people that have a code to live by in Leviticus to the writing of Romans and First Timothy and First Corinthians, is that we are a community called to love. We're a community that's called to offer belonging. We're a community that's saying, you know what? I'm just, I'm, I am, I am a, I've, I've done wrong. I've missed the mark. I've been a sinner. I'm in just as need of grace as anybody. And because of the grace that's offered to me, because of the love that's been given to me, I now can become a conduit of that. I can now be a place where the Spirit dwells and that when people meet me, hopefully, hopefully, they're met by love. Hopefully, they're met by grace. Hopefully, they're met by belonging. I hope that's who we are becoming. Not already became, but we are always in the process of becoming as a body, as a church, and as individuals. Let's pray. God of a complicated scripture. God of a scripture that we are constantly trying to understand and unpack, especially when language is challenging and 2,000 years go by and we have no idea what's being talked about. And we try to apply meaning and it can be harmful. God, help us. Help us to not use the Bible to keep our power, to protect ourselves. Help us to not give in to fear. Instead, God, help us to be humbled Help us to recognize that we are in just as much need of grace as anyone. Help us to recognize that because of grace, we can extend grace. That because of love, we can become love. That because of forgiveness, we can be people of mercy. So God, move us. Move us to be that type of place. Help us to be people of belonging and people of peace. In Christ's name we pray.
We have a number of announcements. Uh, We have a first Sunday with our new worship leader, Doug Ness. Um, We've got Children's Church. We've got just a lot going on around here. And and what we have going on is a whole bunch of events and things happening. And I just want to give you a whole list of them. So number one, or first on the list, is we are starting a book discussion October 15th where we are reading The Great Emergence by Phyllis Tickle. If you would like to join the book study, we would love to have you. So it meets basically every other week uh, this fall, so October 15th, November 5th, and so on. Um, If you need a copy of the book, please let me know. We can purchase one for you. Otherwise, feel free to pick one up and then join us on Sunday evening at 7 o'clock. We would love to have you there. But before you go to the book study... Come to family game night at 5 o'clock. Bring a dish to share. We'll probably be grilling hot dogs again because hopefully it'll be nice enough to still be outside and enjoying it. If it is cold or rainy, then we'll meet indoors in the fellowship hall and hang out there with some games and whatnot. So I did put an accurate game that we do own on the picture this time. Last time I advertised cornhole, which we don't own, apparently. It was Amanda's and she wasn't there and I didn't tell her to bring it. So my bad. Um, We do own bocce ball and it will be there. So there you go. So I was thinking about our kind of our direction with youth and family ministry and with bringing Katie on board and all that they're doing to try to build this. And it hit me. The movie Field of Dreams is a lie. If you build it, they don't just automatically come. Okay, the end of that movie is miraculous because they're just playing catch on a baseball field in a cornfield and there's cars coming from all over the globe in order to come watch an old dead guy play catch with his kid. And so, sorry if I spoiled the end of the movie for you, but it's like 40 years old, so just get over it. Um, It's not how it works, right? If we build it, they don't just come. And so here's the thing. Katie is building it. We're working hard on it but we have to do the work to get people to come. We got to make the flyers. We got to talk to neighbors. We got to make connections with people. And that doesn't just mean Katie. That means all of us. It means me. It means everybody. And so we're going to be doing our best to put out flyers. We actually talked to the conference this week and got a mailing list of the 150 families that moved into the area within the last year of five mile radius. And so we're going to be putting out postcards and sending them to the families that have recently moved into this area, which is exciting to do. We've got a list of 4,000 people that have moved into the area within the last year, including single people and others. And so we're going to be doing some target marketing in a way. Um, So we're going to try our best, but we all know that it really makes a difference when you walk up to someone and say, I think you would enjoy coming to this. And so here are some fun things that we have that you can invite people to that aren't just like boring old church. Okay. So some fun things. Family movie night coming up Wednesday, October 18th. We're going to be outside. We're going to wheel one of these TVs outside. We're going to put up, make a fire, and we're going to have some hot apple cider and some snacks, and we're going to watch. It's the great pumpkin Charlie Brown, and so we're going to enjoy watching a movie outside, and we're going to have a lot of fun. Second thing we're going to do is trunk or treat. Trunk or treat on Sunday, the 29th, right before Halloween, 5 to 7 o'clock. We're going to do it in the back parking lot area, and we are going to have a whole bunch of trunks decorated. So Misha's going to help me decorate our trunk. I can't wait to see what he comes up with, (laughs) that little creative one. And so we're going to have fun with it. So if you want to sign up, there was an email that went out in the Tuesday news. There was a link to sign up to decorate a trunk. And so if you would like to participate in decorating your trunk, we would love to have you do that. Um, And so Trunk or Treat is going to take place on Sunday, October 29th. So family game nights, movie night, trunk or treat, these are 
really great opportunities to invite people to some very low impact, oh, high impact, but low, uh, what do you call it? Like low commitment, right? We're not asking them to like sign up or listen to something or forcing them to sing or anything like that. Sorry, Doug. But we're just asking them to come eat, have fun, enjoy themselves, um, and get to know our community. So invite people to come to those things. And finally, um, we also included an email about this. Um, if you have someone in your life, a close friend, a loved one, someone in your family that has recently passed away within the last year, we want to honor that. We want to remember that. We want to ring the bell, light a candle for them on All Saints Sunday, which is also October 29th. Um, so that Sunday, we will have that be a part of the 10 o'clock service. So please email Gene at gene at pcumc.com if you have someone in your life that you would like us to remember and honor so that we can be sure to include them. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace, the podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Again, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. May you experience the love of God and may you have peace.